Now remain standing for our gospel lesson, also our sermon text from John chapter 10. Pay attention because this is the gospel of God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings, his own, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves And robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon. And is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said. These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you for your word God. And we thank you for Sending the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Good Shepherd. As we consider your Word 
today. Use it to transform us into faithful sheep. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. About 50 years ago, Philip Keller published his best-selling book titled, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Actually, I read it in high school. A spiritual mentor gave it to me to read. And in one place, the book describes a danger that's apparently unique to sheep. Shepherds call it being cast down or cast And when a sheep is cast, it's gotten itself into a situation where it can't get up. It can't regain its feet, stand up again. Keller says, the strongest and sometimes healthiest sheep can become cast and be a casualty. The way it happens is this, a heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. Now, it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. End quote. And the author goes on to discuss other problems that are unique to sheep. And, and when I read this book, what, 25 or more years ago, I remember coming away with the sense of how helpless sheep are. They have limited intelligence. Oftentimes they don't do the obvious thing that is also the best thing for them, that's good for them. And they have a hard time finding food on their own. As creatures of habit, they'll travel long distances on familiar paths through desolate places in search for food, even when excellent forage is not far away to begin with. And apparently sheep are also given to lethargic wandering. Shepherds say that sheep are sometimes timid and sometimes stubborn. They can be frightened by the most ridiculous things, though at other times nothing can move them. They're defenseless, and it takes a lot of work for shepherds to keep them out of trouble. Sheep represent us so perfectly that the Scriptures frequently use this image to describe us, to describe God's people. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us. And we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. I read that for the call to worship. Isaiah 53 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Scripture is rich in its imagery as it portrays us as sheep. And about 13 years ago, more recently, a Bible scholar wrote a book on shepherding in the Scriptures. And here's what he says about the duties of a shepherd. The wide range of activities involved in shepherding shepherding is determined by the daily seasonal needs of the animals. Consequently, attentive and careful shepherds became endeared to their flocks. 
responsible shepherds know every member of their flocks in terms of their birth circumstances, history of health, eating habits, and their idiosyncrasies. It is not uncommon to name each goat and sheep and to call them by name. One of the most striking characteristics of the shepherd-flock relationship is that control over the flock is exercised simply by the sound of the shepherd's voice. Most of us, even if we've spent some time on a farm, most of us miss the richness of the biblical symbol of a shepherd and his sheep. So hopefully this background helps a little because we lack the experience to understand fully the, the meaning of the image, the imagery, for example, in Psalm 23. Being a shepherd was, and in some places, still is a highly personal, intimate vocation. To preserve his sheep, a shepherd must provide around-the-clock care and know them well to do so. And a sheep with no shepherd is to be pitied indeed. Matthew 9.36 says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them. Remember. Why? Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. These, these words describe what Jesus saw, what Jesus experienced, but they're also an apt description of our world. It, they apply today to people today. Many people, including even many believers, many people who profess Christ, are cast down. And in essence, they're without a shepherd. Others are more healthy. Others are contented members of the flock enjoying the tenderness and attention of the Good Shepherd. So we need to grasp the beauty and the richness of the word picture that Jesus uses here in John 10, particularly in those first 18 verses when he's talking and explaining his word picture. And as we reflect on the first 21 verses of John 10, we need to see in this passage a vision of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we need to appreciate and even embrace our sheepishness. Being a sheep is dangerous unless you belong to the Good Shepherd. So in verses 1 to 6, we'll see that the Good Shepherd knows his sheep. In verses 7 to 10, we'll see that the Good Shepherd provides for his sheep. And then in verses 11 to 18, they, those verses assure us that the good shepherd dies for his sheep. And then finally in verses 19 to 21, we'll see that the true sheep know the good shepherd. True sheep know the good shepherd even as they are known by the good shepherd. So before we jump in and dig in to our text, Let's remember where we are in John's Gospel. It's been two or three months since I preached in John, in John chapter 9. But we need to see John 9 and John 10 as um, co- cohesive. They're, they're, they go together. There's not this huge break uh, between them. 
In chapter 9, Jesus gave sight to the man born blind. And what's the response of the religious leaders? Their response, the Pharisees' response in particular, was to get angry and to rebuke Jesus for creating seeing eyes on the Sabbath. The end of chapter 9, Jesus sees the Pharisees in their blindness. And in chapter 10, Jesus continues to see through their outward show of concern for the law. He sees through the facade of being concerned about upholding God's law all the way to their self-centered, self-serving hearts. The Pharisees, you see, are the kind of shepherds who seek to benefit themselves at the expense of the sheep. They're the kind of shepherds who devour the sheep like wolves. They're the kind of shepherds that we read about in the first two verses of Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my sheep, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. These were shepherds who were being self-serving and using the sheep for their own benefit. And Jer- Jeremiah's prophecy here applies to the Pharisees. We could say that the Pharisees fulfilled this prophecy. And Jesus' word picture in the first half of John 10 is a response to these blind Pharisees, these blind shepherds who show that they're not shepherds. What's Jesus call them? Thieves and robbers. They don't care anything about the Lord's flock. They just care about stealing, getting from the Lord's flock. They only care about indulging their own desires, even if it means stealing and killing and destroying God's sheep. The good shepherd, on the other hand, knows his sheep, he provides for his sheep, and he dies for his sheep. And the true sheep know the good shepherd. So number one, the good shepherd knows his sheep. The the shepherd's relationship to his sheep is one of familiarity, intimacy. The shepherd is familiar with the sheep, and the sheep, as well as the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper, are familiar with the shepherd. They know who he is. They know his character, and that it's a good one. Look again at the first three verses of John 10. I invite you to follow with me in your Bibles. In John 10, we'll just work through it mostly verse by verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jewish shepherds kept, the sheep, kept their sheep in two different kinds of, of pen. All right, Two kinds of sheepfolds, we could say. If they were out in the country, the sheepfold was a corral with low walls made of stone and then a narrow entry, an opening in front for them to come in and out of. In town, though, 
near a city, the sheepfold would have been bigger. The walls were higher and structurally more sound. And it was a it was communal. It was a common sheepfold with multiple shepherds putting their sheep in this one pen, bigger pen. And often these common sheepfolds would would have a professional gatekeeper on duty. And this community sheep pen is the image that Jesus has in mind here. That's what he's using is the community sheep pen where multiple flocks are together in one pen, one sheepfold. He paints a a picture of a shepherd who comes to the door of this common sheepfold, the community sheep pen. The gatekeeper automatically recognizes the shepherd and he admits him into the fold. And then the shepherd finds himself walking among the multitude of mixed flocks in the communal corral. Now at this point, those of us with no experience shepherding sheep like this might ask, how does the shepherd plan to separate his own sheep and, and you know, get his own sheep and, and take them out? How does he plan to separate his from the others? Well, the answer is in verse 3. The shepherd would begin to talk to his sheep in his unique, maybe sing-song way. In a way that only his sheep would respond. He'd call them by name. They'd recognize his voice. His own sheep would hear his voice and then respond by coming. And he'd lead them out of the sheepfold into green pastures and still waters. In verse 3, Jesus says that the sheep hear or they listen to, they're attentive to his voice. Again, the idea here is familiarity with the person. Personal familiarity. If someone besides the shepherd, let's say, were to to put on the shepherd's clothes and then try to call his sheep, the sheep wouldn't come, would they? Even if he got the same kind of beard or you know, put on some kind of a, a mask that made him look like the shepherd. He wouldn't, they wouldn't come. Because they only hear and obey the voice that they've come to know. That they've come to hear. That they've learned to listen to. It's the voice that loves them, provides for them, and leads them. So sheep may be slow and thick-headed, but they know their master's voice. Jesus also says in verse 3 that he calls his own sheep by name. And this detail relates uh, to how intimately the Lord Jesus knows each one of us. It reflects his deep love for each of you. He knows you personally. He knows you all the way down. He knows you intimately. But his intimacy and familiarity with you go deeper even than calling you by name. I want to show you the most, I think, the most shocking statement in our passage today. In your Bible, 
go down to verses 14 and 15. And look at what Jesus says there about the intimate knowledge that Jesus has of his sheep. John 10, 14 and 15. I'm going to read from the New King James. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now what, what we need to look at this for a minute because what Jesus is saying here and the King James, the New King James doesn't bring this out as well as other translations do. What Jesus is saying here is that He knows us and we know Him just as the Father knows Jesus and Jesus knows the Father. Jesus is comparing His intimate knowledge of the Father with His intimate knowledge of us. He's comparing the relationship between Father and Son with the relationship between son and sheep. This is one of those places where it's good, and this is oftentimes the case, where it's good to read from multiple translations. For example, the ESV and the NASB do a little better job of translating verses 14 and 15. The New King James puts a period at the end of verse 14, but really there should just be a comma there so that we see that comparison. Because Jesus is comparing the intimacy between the Father and Him and that familiarity and the intimacy between Him and His sheep. So for verses 14, a better way of, of reading it or translating it is this. This is very close to the New King James, but I'm going to change it a little bit. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I am known by my own, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. The even so... In verse 15 of the New King James Version is better translated, and I, and I. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep and I am known by my own just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And so this is important. I spent a, a minute or two on this because when we understand what Jesus is saying properly, it becomes one of the most staggering statements in all of Scripture. Think about it. How does the Father know the son, the son? What's the nature of that intimacy, that knowledge of each other? In no relationship could the parties involved be more fully aware of one another than in the relationship between the all-knowing Father and the all-knowing Son. No shared history goes back further or contains more shared joy and shared grief than the history between the eternal Son and the eternal Father. No emotions could be more sincerely felt or expressed than the emotions that the Father and the Son feel for each other and communicate to each other. So there could be no more dramatic expression of intimacy than how the Father knows the Son. And yet, incredibly, Jesus compares that knowledge with His knowledge of us in particular. I know my sheep, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. There could be no knowledge more intimate than the son's knowledge of the father and what this means 
What this means for us is that there is no knowledge more intimate than the Son's knowledge of us. Than the Son's knowledge of you, His sheep. Just take in what Jesus is saying here. Think about this comparison. His knowledge of you extends into the deepest parts of your soul and your life, your history. It goes back even beyond your birth. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Jesus knows you, his sheep, in the most profound of ways. He knows your past and its failures, its shortcomings, its sins, its betrayals, its pains. He knows your present with its insecurities, doubts, and worries, and unrealized longings. He knows your personality quirks and your idiosyncrasies. He calls you by name. He knows you by name. He knows you in the most intimate way. But not only does he know you, not only does the good shepherd know us, we also know him. That's that's what the gospel accomplishes. Knowledge of Jesus. The sheep Jesus says, hear his voice. If you're a sheep, then you hear with your spiritual ears the voice of Christ. You know what it sounds like. When you hear it, you respond because you're a sheep, his sheep. And when you respond, he meets your needs, your deepest needs. Jesus continues in verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Whose voice do you know best? Whose voice are you tuned into? The voice of Jesus or one one of the other many voices out there? Who calls you by name? Jesus or the strange voices of the world? Which which voice do do you respond to? Which voice do you know? Which voice comforts you? Which voice do you love to hear? Is it the voice of Jesus or some other voice or voices? Do you hear the voice of Jesus? When you read the Scriptures, or when you hear the Scriptures proclaimed, preached, expounded, do you hear the voice of your Good Shepherd? Does Jesus ever lead you into green pastures and still waters? Do you ever experience His restoring of your soul? Does He lead you in paths of righteousness For his own sake. 
the sheep in the community sheepfold who hear the voice of Jesus are the sheep of his flock. The sheep who do not know the voice of Jesus are someone else's sheep. They don't belong to Jesus. In these opening verses, Jesus is explaining in this context, he's explaining why some in the crowd see him heal the blind man and believe that he's the Messiah and confess that he's the Messiah while others see the same thing, the same miracle, the same healing and hate him for it. And they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. True sheep see and hear Jesus. False sheep do not. The sheep who belong to Jesus know the voice of Jesus. And they won't be misled by other voices, by the voice of the Pharisees. The true people of God won't be misled by charlatans. Whether we're talking about the Pharisees in the first century or the fakes and the phonies in the 21st century all around us. And I want you to think about this with me as we think about some application here. How, how does a sheep get good at hearing the voice of his shepherd? How does a sheep get good at hearing the shepherd's voice? How does he get tuned in? By hearing it over and over and over again. By being exposed to his shepherd's voice day in and day out. Every Lord's Day with the people of God. Every day with the Scriptures. So how do you get to know your shepherd? That's how. Day in, day out. Hearing the Word of God. Hearing the voice of Christ. Over and over and over again. By exposing yourself to the Word of God as it is read and preached, proclaimed. As often as you can. By yourself, with your family, with the Lord's people. In the fold, on the Lord's day. You can't be a sheep if you're not hearing the voice. If you're not putting yourself in the path of His voice. You can't hear, you won't learn how to hear the shepherd if you stop up your ears when He's talking. You won't know the shepherd if you're not in the fold when He says to be in the fold, worshiping with the people of God. In verse 6, Jesus, or John, interjects a comment. Jesus used this illustration, John says, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. They understand the illustration. The word picture makes sense internally as, a, as an illustration, as a story. But they, they don't understand the deep spiritual truths that it represents. So Jesus further explains in verses 7 to 10. And in these verses we see that the good shepherd provides for his sheep. Verse 7, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. 
and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This is an interesting thing that Jesus does here. We we might ask after reading this, so which is it, Jesus? Are you the good shepherd? Are you the shepherd of the sheep? Or are you the door to the the sheepfold? Jesus is mixing his metaphors here. In the first part of the illustration, he identifies himself as the shepherd of the sheep who And the sheep who hear his voice, he's the shepherd of them. But now in verse 9, he says, I'm the door. And if anyone enters by me, through me, he'll be saved. And he'll go in and out and find pasture. So when Jesus mixes his metaphors like this, it doesn't take away from the illustration. We we shouldn't say, oh, Jesus, you, you contradicted yourself here. As so many scholars liked to do and find problem, finding problems in what Jesus says, it's actually, what Jesus does here actually enriches the illustration. The picture in verse 9 communicates the safety of the sheepfold. To be protected from wolves and thieves for a night of rest in the sheepfold, the sheep must enter through the door, which is Jesus. Not just any door, but through Jesus. It all happens in Jesus the sheep in the fold will be saved from danger when they go into the fold through Jesus. And when it's time to leave the fold to find water and green pastures and exercise and other nourishment, the sheep must exit through the door, which is Jesus. Jesus is saying, in essence, "I'm I'm the living door. To be safe inside the pen, you enter through me. To find refreshing water and pasture outside the pen, you exit through me. As the door, I am your protector and your provider. When you come in through me, not only are you saved, but you're also safe. You're not only saved, but you're also safe. And when you go out through me, you go out to green pastures and still waters and your soul is refreshed. If you don't go in and out through me, Jesus is saying, then you won't be safe. You won't be safe when you're in the sheepfold. You won't be safe when you're outside the sheepfold in the pasture. And at the end of verse 10, Jesus states the reason he came from heaven to earth. That they, my sheep, may have life, and that they may have it, more abundantly to the fullest Christ provides abundant or full life for his sheep so what is that what is abundant life what does that even mean well it's not an abundance of stuff abundance of things money can buy you many things it can even buy you a big green pasture But it can't buy satisfaction. It can't buy fullness. It can't buy abundant life. Scripture portrays the good shepherd making his sheep lie down in green pastures. Leading them beside still waters. Going and finding the stray sheep. Keeping them from poisonous plants. 
taking them to the good water and making sure that they have life that is abundant to the fullest, truly satisfying. So what's the qualification to obtain all this? How how do we have it? What do we got to do? What's it take to be a sheep of the good shepherd? To have this abundant life? To go in and out? To have pasture? To be safe? Must you become a brilliant sheep? A beautiful sheep? An active sheep? An energetic sheep? Sheep, a servant, sheep. No. You just need to be a sheep that, ser- that hears the good shepherd's voice and who follows him wherever he leads. And then the other stuff will flow from that. The first thing you do is not offer Jesus anything. All those other things, your energy and your time and your service, flow from just turning to Him in faith. You just need to be a sheep that hears the Good Shepherd's voice and follows Him wherever He leads, knowing that the shepherd knows what's best for the sheep. In verses 11 to 18, we see that the Good Shepherd loves His sheep. He has such a big heart for His sheep that it leads Him To die for his sheep. So number three, the good shepherd dies for his sheep. Let's reread verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, a hired hand, he who is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hiring, fl- hireling flees because he is a hireling. He's, a hire- he's just a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. That's us, by the way. That's all of us. We're in this passage. Jesus is referring to us here, the sheep who are not yet in the pen, but that will hear his voice and will come in to the pen when they hear and respond. Them I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Matthew 9.36 says that Jesus had compassion because He saw His sheep scattered and cast down. The word translated compassion in that passage conveys the idea of compassion that you feel in your gut. It's the compassion that a mom feels when her toddler has a 104 
temperature. It's kidney-level compassion. Christ's stomach turned with compassion for his scattered, cast-down sheep. Because Jesus is no hired hand. He's not a hireling. His heart is full of sacrificial love. His kidneys are full of compassion for his sheep that leads him to die for them. Notice that four times in this passage, Christ says that he dies, will die for his sheep. Look at the last part of verse 11. It says the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The last part of verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. The last part of verse 17. I lay down my life that I may take it again. And then finally the first part of verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. That's the heart of our shepherd. He, he lays down his life for the sheep, the needy sheep. And notice in verse 18, Jesus makes sure we know that no one takes it from him. No one can take it from him. You can't take life from the author of life. He can lay it down, but you can't take it from him. And that's what he did. He laid it down on the exact day he wanted to die. Not any earlier, not any later. And then he took it up three days later on the exact day he wanted to rise from the dead. He had the power to give up his spirit, to breathe his last. And he had the power to raise himself from the dead. The power lies in Jesus, with Jesus, not in those who killed him. And he died willingly because he loves his sheep. In 2012, Bob Dylan gave an interview to the Rolling Stone magazine. And during the interview, there was a telling exchange where the interviewer, the reporter, points out how much Dylan's fans love him. Now, the interesting part, though, is that Dylan knows that the fans don't actually love him. They love his product, but they don't love him. Let me read an excerpt from that interview. The reporter says to Dylan, there's also the audience that really loves you. Dylan responds, of course. They think they do. They love the music and songs I play, not me. The interviewer asks, why do you say that? Dylan says, because that's the way people are. People say they love a lot of things, but they really don't. It's just a word that's been overused. When you put your life on the line for somebody, that's love. But you'll never know it until you're in the moment. When someone will die for you, that's love. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And in verse 14, he repeats it. I am the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who loves us. He's the good shepherd who loves us and dies for us. He's the good shepherd because he knows us and relates to us and calls us by name. Because he protects us from evil and provides for our every need, 
everything that we need for life and for godliness. And he leads us to those green pastures and still waters. He's the good shepherd because he died to deliver us from the one who seeks to steal and kill and destroy us. The good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd provides for his sheep. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. And finally, in verses 19 to 21, the sheep know the good shepherd. They know the good shepherd for who he is. They recognize and confess him for who he is. Verse 19, therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these things, these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Those who don't belong to Jesus not only don't recognize him, not only don't hear his voice, they also often tend to think he's evil. And in verse 20, they attribute his power to the demonic realm, demonic influences. But in the last verse of our passage, in verse 21, we see the reaction of those who belong to the Good Shepherd. They recognize that no demon would ever seek the good of a blind man. Demons want to steal and kill and destroy, not give sight. Those who know Jesus and hear his voice understand that Jesus is not the devil. He's not of the devil. He is of God. No one is worth knowing more than Jesus. No relationship is more important than your relationship with Jesus. No shepherd will take care of you the way that Jesus, the good shepherd, the only good shepherd that there is, will. No one could ever know you better than Jesus does. He knows every time that you've hated someone. He knows everything you have ever contemplated. He knows every desire that's ever arisen from your heart. He knows all the filthy things that you've said and seen. He loves you in spite of your sin. What's more, He died for your sins. He didn't just die knowing that you were a sinner and did it anyway. He died specifically to take care of your and my sin problem that separates us from His Father and our Father. No one has been with you longer than Jesus who knitted you together along with the Father and the Spirit in the womb. No one has ever been truer to you than Jesus is and will be. He tells you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. And He's always true to the truth, to His truth. No one has ever shown more commitment to you and to your good than Jesus, your good shepherd. 
He's, he's given you no reason to distrust Him, to doubt Him, to question His motives, or to resent Him. And you owe no one more than you owe Jesus. He has bought you with a price. So you are not your own. In a world of many uncertainties, you can be certain of Jesus and His promises. You can stand firmly and securely on His Word without worrying about anything. You can follow Him wherever He takes you. Even when He leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. His body and His blood purchased your life. Redeemed your life. And that same body and blood continues continue to bear up your life. They continue to bear you up on your journey to heaven. Jesus is your friend. He's the one who knows you intimately. Warts, deep sins, and all. And He laid His life down for you so that you might know Him. He died for you so that you can know Him. This is the greatest news in the world. This is the best thing in your life, whether you feel it or not. And all that's required to be God's sheep is that you regularly turn away from sin and turn toward Jesus and follow Him who is your good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, thank You for rescuing us, saving us from the wolves, the robbers, the thieves, from our own sin, our own proclivities. Thank You for the salvation that comes through the Good Shepherd who died for us. Help us now by the power of Your Spirit working in us to leave here as more faithful sheep. Those who go in and out of the fold following Jesus, going through by way of Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.